0: Welcome back to another episode of Falling Out. How is everyone? I'm doing great, y'all. I just want to say, you may have noticed since like the midway of this season, there's been a significant change in the structure and the format of this show. And I am loving uh, everything that is happening in and around that. Uh, New changes, experimentation, Doing new things. I've been loving it. I also want to say astute listeners and readers and viewers will know that the last episode was entitled Mooney Leaks Volume 1. And in that episode, I alluded to the fact that there may be multiple Mooney Leaks. And you may be thinking, but Elgin, this episode doesn't look like a Mooney Leak. And you'd be right in thinking that. And I'm okay with that. I'm enjoying the mystery. Was I bluffing? Do I really have more leaks? (laughs) Was I just fucking people? (sighs) Some people are just going to have to wait to find out, aren't they? They're just going to have to, you know, wait a little longer to see. Does it exist? Does it not exist? (sighs) Because today... The format change is continuing into a new realm, a realm of history. This, folks, is People's History of the Unification Church, Part One: The War Criminals for Peace episode. This was really fun to do, and I did this with returning guest Faith Yen. Folks will remember Faith from season one; she was one of the first people that I recorded with. And in the beginning of this episode. We, have, we just have a nice catch up. It was really awesome talking to Faith and understanding how her life has changed since we first spoke. She's got a lot of awesome updates. It was really awesome for me to talk to someone whose life has really improved over the years. It was really great. I think it's been great for the audience to hear. And then after that, um, we get into a review of an article written by a journalist named Peter McGill. Uh, McGill was never in the Moonies, has No direct connection, but recently wrote an amazing article detailing the history of the Unification Church from an objective outsider's point of view and drove some fascinating, fascinating connections to all kinds of historical figures, including some of the war criminals for peace that you're going to hear about in this one. This was a really amazing and insightful thing to do to review this article with faith, and it actually took a total of about four hours, so I split it into two parts. This is part one, War Criminals for Peace. And I'm just going to hit play and let you all enjoy it. The link to the article is going to be in the show notes. Enjoy and let me know what you think. Uh, All right. Faith, welcome back to the show. It's great to see you again.
1: Great to be back. Good to see you too, Elgin.
0: Um we got a lot to talk about today. Um let's start with an update on you. I think it's been it's been
1: 4 years.
0: No, it hasn't been 4 years.
1: I published that first YouTube video um 4 years ago this week. It was August 2019 and now it's August 2023.
0: Okay. So for you okay, it's 4 years since when you published that YouTube video. I th- I'm I'm trying to think like Sense and then you, you and called I... me
1: shortly after and we're like I'm starting a podcast now yeah. would you like to be the first guests what... and you're like Faith what should I call it and I yeah. was like what about falling out like, I, know. What...
0: I know I know I, I, was, thinking, I was thinking I was thinking about that I was thinking about that I was like I think Faith really helped with the name of the show if I'm honest I did <laughs> and you were
1: almost like coming to me with a business proposal for your podcast and like asking for my input asking for approval I was like, "Do your thing. You're a grown ass man. It's your own podcast.
0: <laughs> That's no, true. It's true. Um, no, I appreciate it. Uh, it's a great name. Um, so thank you. Um, and no, I was so I was I I think we recorded that kind of makes sense because we recorded kind of like midway through 2020. I think. I think I started recording like in the back half of 2020. A, it would have
1: been a handful of. Yeah, you're right. Because it was like fully in the pandemic.
0: Exactly. Exactly. I get because that's what I remember. I remember it, it was it was in the pandemic. So
1: three and a half years ago. Yeah,
0: exactly. And that's when I was doing the recordings for the beginning of the show was the end second half of 2020 for launch in early 21, effectively. Um, Dang. So, yeah, we're coming on three years since you and I recorded with you uh at a cafe in San Diego um eating a vegan burger long beach
1: burger. but go off oh long
0: beach oh sorry excuse yeah. me i thought it was san diego um <laughs> i remember california and i remember the vegan burger um mm-hmm. so what's what's been happening since then where where are you now and what's what's going on
1: um well when we last spoke to each other in this context in a recording i was living at a domestic violence shelter called long beach rescue mission I had just started trauma therapy for the first time in my life, which turns out is very different from regular degular like CBT therapy Mm -hmm. or meeting with a social worker. Um, And I only ever really felt better doing trauma therapy. So I continued pursuing it and it became twice as essential during the pandemic Um, because i had started going to college right before the pandemic and as we both know there's like a lot of really harmful narratives within the unification church about what happens when people leave the moonies and what happens when people go to satan's indoctrination camp Mm
0: -hmm. and allow
1: themselves to be brainwashed by the evil liberal media like they're going to invite a lot of evil spirits into their life they're going to like influence a lot of natural disasters so the pandemic happening as I started my college career (laughs) and started speaking openly out against Reverend Moon sort of did a number on me and I had to spend a few additional weeks in trauma therapy Mm -hmm. just sort of reassuring myself that I was not responsible for the pandemic (laughs) and like didn't bring that upon myself um but yeah I sort of just been pursuing trauma therapy like my life depended on it because it kind of literally did Mm -hmm. I ended up doing I think in total three years of talk-based trauma-informed psychotherapy with a psychologist uh who has been in a cult themselves
0: okay that's all I
1: did almost a full year of EMDR with a little EMDR machine with that same psychologist um EMDR stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. I think I barely got that mouthful out just now.
0: That's cool. We talked like, about it a few times on this show. I, I, I'm, and I've done it before. I'm like, it's the eye thing, but um, yeah. all, all, all the, all the, the um, the words in the acronym are kind of like I don't know what they mean. Basically, yep. So they mean, yeah. I
1: sounds. mean, essentially, what I've discovered is, um moonies and half in half out ex moonies who like to dm me and tell me that i'm a dumb bitch and i don't know what i'm talking about or that as i'm speaking out trying to help other people who have been going through what i've been going through that i'm getting details wrong and i don't deserve to have a platform and i'm racist because i don't want to get married to them or whatever it is (laughs) like
0: dude that's happened
1: <laughs> yes, that's why I'm anxious because, as fun and as empowering as this can be, other people who have been in the Moonies are still thoroughly traumatized and refuse to address their own trauma and sort of mm. take out those emotions on the first person they can find, which yeah. is usually you or me or yeah. anybody else with like a platform. Yeah. But all of that is to say, like, I think all the trauma therapy I've been through and the fact that there's like biological evidence of trauma in my body it's sort of given me an inarguable defense and I don't feel as pushed around by cult members anymore. I don't feel anytime somebody leaves like a rude comment or tries to disagree with me or disprove me or be passive aggressive as fuck, it doesn't influence me the same way anymore. But at the same time, I've finally broken through a lot of that good old Mooney thought reform pavlovian conditioning of like staying numb and avoiding my emotions and Mm -hmm. now i have literal decades worth of constantly constantly like neglected and invalidated grief and pain Mm -hmm. and anger and rage that i've sort of been dealing with at the same time so i've transitioned from like youtube to tiktok more Mm -hmm. i've Published about three episodes of a podcast that I do actually intend on continuing, even though I've been kind of dead on there, Mm -hmm. but I'm going through a lot of like really big swift changes, like as a person. Um, And I feel better and happier than I ever have. Mm -hmm. I feel more capable of like advocating for my own boundaries. I'm in the best living situation that I think I've ever been in. Um, Definitely not living in a women's shelter anymore, which is dope. Um, but I'm glad that I had that experience because it changed the way that I understand uh, the way that Moonies treat poor people and mm, treat women like yeah. as an organization um, <clears throat> it's changed the way that I look at my younger sister who sort of chose to became unhoused to escape our heinously abusive family um, I don't know I'm really like I just feel like I'm in a much more solid, well-grounded place, which is awesome because the very real present events unfolding right now having to do with the Unification Church, it's a lot to take in and to handle. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. finding articles like the one we're going to talk about today yeah. is also like a huge emotional upheaval. Yeah. So I don't know. I feel like I've been sprinting at full speed, hit the ground running as soon as I left the Unification Church. And I'm glad I stayed sprinting and I'm glad I have no chill and I'm glad I've sort of been doggedly pursuing trauma therapy and all these different modalities because the insidious like effects of the unification church around the world have not slowed down.
0: No, not at all. And
1: we're all sort of witnessing it unfold constantly today.
0: Yeah. Uh, wow. That's a, there's a lot there. Um. Yeah. Well, first of all, um, congrats i'm i'm happy for you that's that's really awesome to hear that like arc of the last few years that's really it's just great to hear it's nice it's just nice like it's just nice talking to someone who's come from a similarly shitty background and over the course of time has seen their life improve um i just that really like it it's it just warms my heart to to hear that. So I'm just, I'm really, I'm really happy for you. I'm like, I'm like vicariously happy for you because like, I think anyone who's lived through this has been through some variation of that. And sometimes it, you go through like some years of down effectively. Um, but you've, you've been pushing through and like you're in a better place now than you were. So that's, that's awesome. I'm really, really happy to hear that.
1: Thank you. And I see you've only been growing and improving on this, like creative idea for the past couple of years. And now it's kind of, kind of a big deal. Yeah.
0: Well, it's, it's I don't know how big it is, but it's bigger than I thought it would be when I, when I, when I started it. Uh, And uh, yeah, I'm just, well, I, I need to thank you for, yeah, well, for coming on the show and for first of all, all those people who just took a leap of faith with me in the beginning when I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. A leap I of faith. Oh. I oh, sorry. Sorry. I shouldn't use that. But like <laughs> anyone who I was like, I don't know how to do this, but if you'll just like, bear with me, I'm going to, I'm going to give it my best shot. And here we are now. Um, so yeah, thank you for being one of the early Guinea pigs basically. Um, yeah, I really appreciate it. Yeah. And
1: thank you for putting the time in to create this digital space, even though you have a whole ass, child and family to run on your own after escaping a human trafficking cult I mm. feel like you definitely deserve big ups for that
0: thank you thank you yeah it's a lot of work but um I mean I wouldn't be doing it if I didn't love it in in its in its own way you know so I'm 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 happy to do it but um it is a lot of work and the one thing I just want to say to the audience I'm really sorry for the erratic release schedule um just because like <laughs> um it's hard it's like things change over time and yeah you kind of you think you can do some stuff but then things come up and you need to put other things on the back burner so it kind of comes in it kind of comes in waves basically
1: you know what i'm glad that this is kind of a tangent but like of all of the sort of Online activist communities, because I would consider that's kind of what we're doing, yeah, right? Totally. Like totally. we're yeah. we're documenting lived experiences that otherwise would not be told because a huge international organization is very motivated to silence all of us and pretend yeah. we don't exist. Yeah. Um. But I feel like of all the online activist groups, I feel like I feel like if you could consider X Moonies a community, even yeah. though we're all so different like I feel like we're good at remembering look the algorithm doesn't fucking matter my life is the only life I'm gonna have yeah I will be goddamned if I sort of neglect myself and my wait yeah. again yeah for something as stupid as an algorithm you know what yeah. I mean <laughs> like,
0: yeah exactly and that's exactly it I'm like that's totally it and and I, yeah it's like yeah, we got we got one life and and for me, half of my life was robbed by fucking Moon and his family. Um, so I like I need to be careful with the remaining time that I have. Um, obviously I want to pour a decent chunk of that into this because I find a lot of personal value in the work that I'm doing here. But equally sometimes it's too much. And I'm like, nope, I'm fucking closing that book and I will get back get back to it when I'm ready to do so. Um mm-hmm. and I like only I can make that call basically. Um so yeah, and I think all of us probably feel like that. Um, and anyone who's doing this sort of work will will feel that sort of like ebb and flow of the desire to, to pour the time into it effectively.
1: Fool me once. <laughs> <Shame>. <laughs> That's just what comes to mind.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, I just want to go back to something you said. So first of all, um, your podcast, um, I want to give you the opportunity to... Talk about that for a second. Uh, and yeah, just like what, what if you want to, or maybe you don't. It's 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 up to you, but I want to give you the opportunity to plug it basically. So go for it.
1: Thank you. So I started a podcast called Cult's Magic Misinfo, or the full name would be Cults Magic and Misinformation. And I chose that name because um finding the subject of anthropology at Long Beach City College, I would consider is like one of the biggest moments of my life right there with discovering trauma therapy and having what we've been through validated as trauma so like anthropology is the study of human beings as if we are a slightly more interesting version of monkeys like you lit- you learn where this physical body comes from and also the impact that our choices as silly impulsive humans have on our evolution and like our bodies and on the world and the environment And it gave me a way to sort of zoom out and put all of these crazy, like laughably evil, like kind of unbelievable events that really happened to all of us Mm -hmm. and really happened in this movement. It sort of makes those things feel less overwhelming when you're not sort of, when I'm not comparing my life to that of another suburban white girl, but I'm just sort of, I'm comparing what we've been through in this organization to the fucking crusades
0: Mm -hmm. or to
1: human beings first learning to walk and like leaving Pangea you know what I'm saying so like, I don't know if I got those timelines right I don't know if there were humans during Pangea but you know yeah, what I'm trying but to either, say either
0: yeah like, yeah in yeah, comparison to the mean. many
1: world extinction events that have already happened in the history of this planet yeah. maybe being trafficked by Korean Jesus isn't as bad yeah you know like,
0: agreed agreed so, and like what I mean like rather live this life than go back and be like that pangea man walking across whatever like
1: or a slave in the middle ages or exactly
0: exactly exactly Mm -hmm. yeah
1: so there's there's a pretty uh well-known like first introductory course in the field of anthropology where you're introduced to like the anthropological study of religion and the way that human beings create different religions and why and how those worldviews are impacted by like the situatedness of that culture in that time period in that time of the in that part of the world and usually that class is called like magic witches and religion or like something like that so cults magic and misinformation is a chance for me to sort of invite people to understand how my mind works as a woman who is technically born and raised in America but does not identify with American culture at all like I spent the first 25 years of my 31 years on this planet fully believing that I was a member of the nation of Chunilgook and that the best thing for everyone to experience would be having their own culture eliminated and replaced with Korean culture, Mm -hmm. but like specifically Moon's brand of Korean culture. And some of the things I had to cover in EMDR was this like deeply rooted unconscious belief that Reverend Moon's portrait and different Moony symbols literally had like a physical impact on the people and objects that they protected. And like something that made it really hard for me to find safe housing or build new relationships with new people was all of this deeply rooted like unconscious assumption that I would be more likely to be physically attacked or robbed Mm. if I didn't have the protection of my like spiritual family so it's kind of just a place for me to like talk about what that's been like and all the layers I've had to unpack and I also invite on specialists who can sort of whip open factual evidence that completely disproves the Mooney belief system Mm. Okay. Mm-hmm.
0: Amazing. That sounds really interesting. And where can people find it?
1: Anywhere podcasts are available, so okay. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, all of that. Okay.
0: Okay. Amazing. Um, I also want to say, uh, and I'll put links to the show notes. Uh, Faith has uh, a very active TikTok presence. Uh, talking about. Uh, well, yeah. What, why don't you tell tell the audience what's what's your TikTok all about?
1: I. Sort of do the same thing that you're doing here on this podcast, except my audience is not other ex Moonies. My audience yeah. is the outside world. So anybody who's okay. scrolling on TikTok. So I do my best to sort of find quick, to the point, kind of funny, flashy ways to directly illustrate the difference between what I've been through and what most other people think the Moonies are. Mm-hmm. So I talk about, like, I'll, like, stitch a trend or something. Someone was like, what's the craziest, most obscure flex that most people wouldn't understand that's, like, a big deal in your world? And then the trend is, I'll go first. And then that creator, like, talks about it. You're supposed to stitch it. So one of the TikToks I made was like, well... (laughs) in the unification church which is a korean supremacist (laughs) cult i was forced to memorize an eight paragraph pledge in korean even though i don't speak a speak a lick of korean (laughs) and so i memorized it so that i could say it really really fast and people would stop giving me shit for being a white person and then i left the cult so now i have eight paragraphs of really creepy sounding bullshit rattling around in my brain (laughs) yeah
0: yeah, okay (laughs) That is brilliant. Okay, yeah. So that's, yes, that's a better description than I could give. Like, that's what that's what your, your TikTok feed is about. Also, I have to say, number one, it's much more active than mine. Number two, it, your audience is probably like 500 times bigger than mine on, on TikTok. It's like, yeah, it's it's sizable um, compared to mine. And you know secret.
1: what's crazy? I'm still like a baby influencer on TikTok. Yeah. Like, people wouldn't even call me an influencer yeah. on TikTok. Mm-hmm. I have less than a hundred thousand followers. So to like the average TikTok user, like I'm a nobody, yeah. but like we're so it's, it's almost like as an ex Mooney, you just kind of get totally psyched, geeked, gassed up when people acknowledge that the Mooney's exist. Yeah. Like it's just kind of really exciting. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, I, uh, but even, I mean, I, dude, I have like, Forty followers on TikTok or something like that. It's like it's like so. It's like so low stakes, um, but um, I guess I wanted to let's try and switch gears here to this paper. Um, the and I have well, let's why don't you tell us about like how you found this paper and who it is and like what's what's it about? Because because you came to me with the idea of of reviewing this and it's a thing that I knew existed, but I never really spent the time to review it until the run-up to this. So tell us about it, please.
1: Yeah. Um. So like I said, I've been kind of obsessively focused on getting as much help for myself as possible because the experience of trying to create an authentic relationship with my parents and watching them choose a doctrine and a community that does not care if they live or die over having a relationship with me was just such a confusing destabilizing thing to witness and i wanted to find yeah. answers to that so i have learned from regular regular outside therapists who are not necessarily like cult informed i've learned that our experience growing up in this organization has a shocking like uncomfortable number of similarities between any other person who has what is called an emotionally immature caregiver. Like emotional immaturity is a real subject of study in the field of psychology. It's been well-documented, well-researched, and there are books published about it. Uh, One of the most helpful books I've recently found is adult children of emotionally immature parents. So like the life skill that is, Sorry, this is a really long answer. We're going to get to that article, I swear. Okay, but like, no, no, but I, this is
0: in, this is important. So, so
1: yeah. <laughs> like, I kind of so, know
0: where you well, So I already recognize some of the stuff you're mentioning, but I, okay. I think I know where you're going, <laughs> but you, you need to say this. So go for it. Yes, please. stick
1: with me. Yeah, We're going to get there. So the life skill of being able to feel your emotions tangibly in your body, because as it turns out, emotions exist. Emotions are real. They're not just ideas you can you mean, argue with you and you just your... you don't
0: just press them down, you don't just press them no. down. And, like, pray them so it turns out the <laughs> like, human
1: body does not work that way. Uh, okay. You can actually measure emotions in your brain. You can like map them out in your physical body. They activate entire like networks of neurons and nerve endings in your body. So the the skill of being able to feel emotions in your physical body, identify them as emotions correctly label those emotions and then sort of engage in this like ritual of internal dialogue and diplomacy with yourself to make sense of your own emotions and then tell other people about those very oddly unique emotions that you alone are having. That is a life skill that people have to be taught by their parents. Can I just it say has, ev- it,
0: everything you've said there, I'm like, this is like a foreign concept to me.
1: Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. And it's funny, because I think the field of psychology today, like that book I just mentioned, was only published in 2015. I think. Oh,
0: wow. That's really recent. It's in the 2000s.
1: That's super
0: recently. Yeah.
1: And something they bring up, the psychologist who studies emotionally immature caregivers and their children for a living full time for decades. The psychologist who published this sort of points out in the book, that I think human beings have been trying to articulate. This sort of really isolating, terrifying experience of having emotionally immature parents since the beginning of time. Like, that's what a bunch of Disney movies are about. That's why the parents are dead in the beginning, or the parents are possessed, or mm-hmm. like Hansel and Gretel, they're, they're just these kids wandering around
0: yeah. trying
1: to survive. Where are their parents? We don't know. And it's like, this psychologist believes that maybe this is something humanity has been grappling with for a that's,
0: long time. Uh, okay. Yeah. So that explains. Yeah. Okay.
1: So So, yeah, so those stories
0: are part of part of humanity trying to grapple with that
1: effectively. Yeah, it's like literally learning how to understand your own physical experience of having emotions, and then telling other people about those emotions, explaining why you're having those emotions to yourself and to other people, and then having hard conversations about your needs that will definitely make other people confused or upset with you even mm-hmm. that's a life skill that most parents are eager to teach their kids and if a person does not learn that life skill and does not start practicing all of the different habits and routines that are a part of that life skill from a very young age you get things like uh, diagnosable narcissistic personality disorder. Or you start getting very inconsistent, almost like schizophrenic-ish, inconsistent behaviors Mm -hmm. from people because they start playing a role to sort of avoid conflict, avoid their own emotions. Mm -hmm. They become very emotionally aphobic. Like, Like imagine if a person had never been potty trained and they literally didn't know what the urge to pee was and they thought they were dying. That's how my parents and most people who join high control groups feel about emotions. Yeah. It's fucking terrifying. And so I wanted to understand like how this random pastor or preacher from the mountains of South slash North Korea suddenly became an expert in classically conditioning people from all walks of life to sleep, deprive themselves, malnourish themselves and ignore all of the skills that they've developed to advocate for their own emotional well-being. So I started hunting for ways to sort of bridge the gap between this alternate universe that the Moonies like to pretend they live in and the rest of human history. Like, where, what was the rest of the world doing when Reverend Moon was being tortured in prison? What was going on in the world when Reverend Moon supposedly... Published the Divine Principle. And as we'll find out in this article that was only published like a year or two ago, yeah. we actually have a ton of documentation about where Reverend Moon was, yeah. what his real legal name was when he was born, because it was not Sun Young Moon. Um, like the people who plucked him out of obscurity and gave him billions of dollars and gave him a platform and gave him security guards and gave him the paperwork he needed to do all this international travel, even though he was a well-known sex offender. Like there are answers to all of these questions and I'm tired of being given a lazy sort of regurgitation of this fairy tale of how he met Jesus instead of actual background info. Like I wanted to know how this man suddenly became like a thought reform genius and took my already emotionally stunted parents And rewarded them for behaving even more emotionally immature because it directly fucked up my life you know what i'm saying yeah i know
0: what you're saying i know what Mm -hmm. you're saying yeah yeah
1: so i just googled it i just have been relentlessly googling who the fuck reverend moon is like the unification church history and timeline in between therapies yeah and this article was very easy to find on the front page of google because other people do care about people who were pulled away from their families and turned into what they describe as glass eyed zombies mm. who feel no qualms about violently harassing people mm. and threatening gay people with death. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like other people, outsiders do care yeah. about ex Yeah. They just sometimes don't necessarily know whether it's their place to comment on our lives or yeah. like get involved. You know yeah. what I'm saying?
0: Yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally um and so i just want to um i just want to say a couple things and then we'll come to this paper i think um i guess i just want to say all these topics have have also um i've been aware of them um i've been i've been kind of morbidly fascinated with them um and wanting to dive into them some of them we've talked about on this show particularly i think for for the audience uh season two um the two episodes actually with donna cervelli uh the father swelling place and logical fallacies um we talked about some of this some of these the these issues um or points that are being made here um but um i just want to say historically i've kind of shied away from from focusing on the issues of the creation of the Unification Church and the political ties—I've kind of mentioned it in detail, but um, I think—and actually, before this article, the, this article is—I this we'll, we'll come to the article in a second. But basically, I felt like focusing on—you know—did it come from the KCIA, and what are the mafia ties, and what are the—you know—it's ties to like the Iran-Contra affair, all this sort of stuff. I, I felt like. I would sound like a conspiracy theorist if I was trying if I came out with a podcast trying to focus on those issues. Uh and so even mm-hmm. though I knew they were important and relevant, my decision was I want to focus on the here and now of the experiences of the kids who grew up within this. Uh I want to, I want to create indelible proof that the the Moon family is a fucking criminal organization that has fucking shattered our generation effectively. Um Mm-hmm. And then we, and then maybe I could focus on on the issues like this because I didn't want it to get clouded in this. You know, is this a conspiracy theory? Blah 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 blah. I feel like I've kind of done that. I've kind of done what I set out to achieve in terms of like setting out this body of work of like, like here here's the record of the abuse, the the indelible proof of the abuse. And now, now that that's done, not that it's done because it will continue, but like there's. I've kind of gotten that out of the way uh, and mm-hmm. now I can take some time to focus on, on this. And I think it's a really interesting topic and it's particularly interesting to do it with someone who's a returning guest as well, because the audience will be familiar with you. Um, so, sorry, I just wanted to say that before getting into the paper. I love how we just call it the paper. We haven't even talked about what it's called yet or who, or who wrote it. <laughs> um, um, do you want to, okay. So why don't you, why don't you tell us about who wrote it and what
1: it what it is basically. For sure. Um, So this was published in Asia Pacific Journal, which is typically about finance and economics. This was written by a journalist uh, who has an American journalist who's been specializing in events happening in Asia uh, named Peter McGill for like decades. Um, And he actually mentions in this article that the only reason he got involved in reporting on the Moonies and started following their actions financially and their money laundering is because he intend he attended a public speaking event uh by reverend moon and he saw heads of state from england sitting right next to reverend moon yeah and when he tried to ask them why they were there they rage quit They they just how dare you red in the face, destabilize the conversation, leave the room and then block him on everything and not answer his calls. And he was like, well, that's an enormous fucking red flag. And his whole like journalist spidey senses started tingling. So he just kept pulling at that thread and sort of accidentally on purpose found himself becoming an expert in what is essentially not a real religion, but in fact, a black market money laundering scheme. Mm. Created by South Korea Mm. and different fascists after World War II, who had all these billions of dollars they stole from Japanese and Korean people because of the war crimes they committed Mm. in like creating all of these coups to like destabilize South Korea, negotiating with the Prime Minister of Japan you know what i'm saying so
0: yeah so and we're going to go through those, those those points i just want to say just to give a just to clarify something um for the audience the he talks about this so first of all the we'll, we'll link to this paper in the show notes The the paper is called the dark shadow cast by by moon sun young's unification church and abe shinzo uh, again by peter mcgill published october fifteenth, twenty 2022 in the asia pacific journal we'll put the link in the show notes um at the end of the article um McGill mentions this turn of events that Faith just mentioned, uh, running across this British head of state. The 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 head of state that he that he ran across was uh Edward Heath, uh who's a former prime minister of of uh the United Kingdom. And he mentions one of the pieces of information he, that that he mentions there is that that Heath had been to at least five of these events. I think every year he had spoken at one of these events for at least five years. Um, mm-hmm. So and then, as
1: soon as he gets questioned about it, he stops attending and he doesn't answer any questions. Yeah,
0: exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, I also thought it was interesting. We'll we'll come to this in a second, but um, in that in that same place, um, he mentions that there's this like you know incredibly long list of all these former heads of state who have spoke who have spoken at these events, but he specifically says they have received money to speak at these events um and i I, that's always been kind of a murky topic like did they just get the did they get paid for it did they just get like the hotel and travel paid for it like it's kind of murky right In, in terms of exactly what the quid pro quo is there but this guy's gone on record and basically said everyone gets paid for this and also i want to say for the audience recently uh Due to some financial disclosures in the U.S., it's—I haven't mentioned this on the show yet—but within the last, I think, two months, it's been it's been disclosed that uh, Donald Trump received two million dollars to speak at a Mooney Front Group event, uh, um, the and Mike Pence received half a million dollars. Um, so that's the sort of money that we're talking about for these people. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean.
1: I think I also want to address like, I'm glad you brought up the fact that you were hesitant to talk about any of this for fear of being called like clowned on for being a conspiracy theorist. Yeah. So I've taken painstaking care to not talk to any Moonies for a very long time. I've surrounded myself with outsiders who uh, don't need to be convinced that the Moonies are a shady fucking organization and absolutely none of this sounds weird or shocking to them at all. It's not hard for them to believe. Yeah. And I think the fact that this journalist was able to whip up a 23 page article so fast, yeah. giving like literally almost a hundred bullet bullet points of incredibly illegal and sketchy shit that the yeah. movies did. I think the, the idea that this is a conspiracy, the idea that this shouldn't be believed is unique to the Mooney community and is evidence mm. of brainwashing. Yeah. It's evidence oh, that's a good point. Right.
0: That's a very, that's a very good point.
1: The that, fact that uh. anyone would question whether or not the Moonies are a sketchy, disgusting, violent organization yeah. is evidence of thought reform.
0: Yeah. That's a really The good idea point.
1: that anyone could listen to even one episode of your podcast and be like, you know what? I don't know. Maybe they're exaggerating. Maybe yeah. they, does thought reform even exist? Like, the fact that anyone would even fix their mouth to say something like that when you have recorded evidence of dozens and dozens of people being traumatized, like, indefinitely Mm. because of this bullshit, like, that lack of empathy and that complete unwillingness to look at the facts is evidence of thought reform
0: yeah that's a really good point okay that makes me feel better about like my my re- strangely better knowing that my reaction might have been a part of this
1: no yeah and i can see you getting shit. uncomfortable and yeah. i can see you trying to like prep your audience for what i'm saying as if yeah. they're not going to receive it and what i'm saying is that's the audience's problem because we have been thought reformed
0: yeah okay that is really evidence
1: of thought reform yeah
0: yeah and and also i want to say like this guy mcgill i've never spoken to him but by all by he, he looks like a sort of like wonky economic policy author like and I mean wonky and not like not like not like funnily shaped but like a policy wonk do you know what I mean like
1: no I don't I don't know that's such a British term oh like, who, okay
0: I'm using a British word what does wonky.
1: wonky mean <laughs> it
0: means like, like so if you you can let, let's say you had like a a wonky I don't know um uh, piece of fruit. Basically, it would just be like a slightly funnily shaped apple or onion or onion or cucumber or whatever. Like, it just so means how like is kind this of...
1: journalist wonky based on his but this is what I'm saying.
0: He's not wonky in the British sense, but li- like a policy wonk, you know what a policy wonk is, right? Like, so... no. Oh, OK, here we go. OK, <laughs> so that's the U.S. version of the word, which is uh, sort of just kind of like a bit uh, like a bit nerdy and really like focused, focused on the ins and outs of economic policy, effectively. Um, okay. Yeah. So or a
1: nerd, a policy kind of, nerd.
0: Yeah, yeah, kind of, kind of. Um, but not really, because nerd has negative connotations. I don't think Wong does. But just like focused on the focus on the details, very pragmatic, like um, like not someone who's gonna exaggerate shit, not someone who's gonna um, you know, someone 20... who
1: has paid their bills for the past several decades, getting information correct about finance and economics.
0: Yes, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. Yeah, that's that's who this author appears to be, effectively.
1: Um, mm-hmm. And
0: it's not. And if you read the tone of the article, it's very factual. There's nothing tabloid about this. Um, it's like a, yeah, it's it's it just feels like a like a play by play, you know, history of where this. Fucking fascist organization came from. Effectively, Um,
1: I love the fact that you keep trying to like overturn objections that you know your audience is gonna have, (laughs) and I'm over here like, y'all need to figure your shit out and just go to a therapist. I don't know how to.
0: Yeah, no, I'm trying to, I'm trying to ease them into it. I'm I'm trying to ease them into it, faith. You know, because I know, I know they might have these kind of blocks in their in their head, but this is me trying to trying to help them out.
1: Um, Yeah. (laughs)
0: Maybe helping myself out too. I don't know. Gotcha. Um okay. So why don't we um where do we start? How do you wanna how do you wanna start talking about this? Yeah,
1: so something that I did because it is very lengthy, and again, it's it's published in an economics journal that's for economists and other policy wonks, if you will. There we go. Something I did is I wrote out an outline. Mm -hmm. To sort of, again, zoom out and just kind of try to understand the bigger picture that Mm -hmm. this journalist is getting across. Mm -hmm. So essentially, what this journalist does is he uses the current events in Japan. So namely Shinzo Abe's assassination and the assassins ties to the Unification Church. He uses that as a way to sort of unleash all of this knowledge he's been accumulating over the decades about the Unification Church and walk us through decades of international scams. Mm-hmm. Um, And so he, the first couple paragraphs, like the intro paragraphs, he gets the audience up to speed on like, in case you didn't hear, Shinzo Abe was assassinated. Mm-hmm. Um, Japan leadership has seen their, like leader, government leadership in Japan has seen their popularity plummet yeah. because it's been revealed that so many hundreds of members of the dominant political party, have deep financial ties with the Unification Church and have been receiving countless thousands of dollars of annual and quarterly donations from the Unification Church.
0: Yeah. They've and also I-
1: essentially been using the population of church followers um, as like counter protesters.
0: Yeah, yeah. So just a couple things there. Just So one of the things he mentions is that uh, as a as a result of the sort of public inquiry in in Japan uh at, in the wake of the Abe assassination um, it was revealed that almost half of the LDP which is the ruling party over there was was tainted by unification church connections
1: yeah 300 some members
0: yeah like half of the <laughs> that's 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 fucking incredible um, which makes
1: sense because Shinzo Abe's grandfather helped create the unification church yes. and to be recognized as a religion when the previous rulers of South Korea were like no you're not a real religion. Yeah. And he that same guy Shinzo Abe's grandfather founded the LDP.
0: Yeah, exactly. So those ties go deep and this article talks about that. Um mm-hmm. the other So there was... there's
1: an investigation beginning into the Unification Church because of this assassination. And what the journalist points out is that even though Reverend Moon is Korean and this organization is a Korean supremacist organization, supposedly, um, Korea doesn't really care. Korea doesn't care that the former prime minister was murdered. Mm. Korea doesn't care that the Unification Church has been extorting billions of yen or whatever from Japanese people. So then he uses that as a jumping off point to sort of give us a history of fraudulent, harmful, extortative unification church activity in Japan. Mm -hmm. um, And then sort of explaining why Korea is not investigating the unification church and why they hate uh, the Abe family line so much. Mm. Um, And sort of, he uses that as a way to deep dive into Reverend Moon's personal history and the way the UC was formed.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and it's quite... um... Yeah, I mean, there's like I also have a ton of notes here. I kind of like, I don't even know where to where, where to where to where to begin. Quite honestly, I guess what so well we've covered some of this. Oh, I have to say, um, the numbers, um, the the numbers that McGill quotes in terms of um, in terms of Unification Church members um, are he got the, the only source he had was the Unification Church unification church itself which is, so of course they're laughably high Um mm-hmm. so he quotes 300,000 members in Japan Um if you've listened to recent episodes of the show you this show you will know that that is absolute bullshit um, but yeah I just want I just want to point out I think he's done a really good job of trying to find good sources for for as much information as possible here but with that one particular piece it came from the church so y- you know it's bullshit
1: yeah um, mm-hmm. And... Yeah, I mean, that's what I appreciate the most out of this article. That's why this article rocked my world mm. and why this 23 page article has felt like the little book of answers that I've been looking for, because even in this is another reason I started my own anthropology podcast, because in that same fucking class that I sort of adapted the title of to become the title of my podcast in my own magic, witches and religion class. That talked about cults for a chapter and had a picture of Reverend Moon's face and had a few mm. paragraphs, more than a few paragraphs dedicated dedicated to the Unification Church. They did not address any of this historical information. Mm. They did not address the historically accurate, easy to find and look up information documented about Reverend Moon by outsiders who never sipped his Kool-Aid mm. and only ever saw all of the crimes and the the terror that he inflicted on yeah. communities. Yeah. And they quoted the one sociologist who has been paid thousands of dollars to paint the movie Moonies in an unfairly positive light. Yep. So it's very frustrating for me. And part of the reason I'm pursuing anthropology still to this day and double majoring in like religious studies is because religious studies is literally a field in college where you don't pay attention to the Messiah of faith within a religion. So like the fairy tales they tell about it, the superpowers that they have, the rituals that they do. And you only focus on the Messiah of history. So you focus on the actual factual data that Mm -hmm. historians like financial experts, property owners have about this person. And you sort of reinterpret the reality of this religion based on scientific evidence. And that's kind of what this article does. The yeah, journal totally. goes out of his way to say, "Okay, this fact was from a bunch of brainwashed people, so take this with a grain of salt, yeah. but the rest of this information comes straight from i r s tax information mm-hmm. It comes straight from publicly available government records
0: yeah yeah, uh and by the way the uh I just wanna I just want to go out of my way to mention the uh the so called expert that you mentioned earlier. Her name is Eileen Barker. I know exactly who you're talking about." uh she takes money from the moonies and spouts lies and um at some point i'd like to do a whole episode on her maybe you want to come back and help me with that faith um i would i don't know man i
1: feel like i'd get too angry i feel like i'd throw my whole fucking computer setup like across the room Okay.
0: (laughs) (sighs) okay team this is elgin from the editing booth after the recording of this episode i just want to say something to clarify Faith and I are about to go off on someone here. That person's name is Eileen Barker. However, Faith, in the angry, passionate heat of the moment, accidentally calls her Eileen Baker. I just want to be clear. We are talking about Eileen Barker. Eileen Barker, Eileen Barker, Eileen Barker. We are talking about her. Faith is passionate about how much she hates that bitch, as you will hear in a second. I also share this passion. Um, However, neither Faith nor I want the audience to mistake the passion and the slightly mispronounced name for not knowing our shit on this topic. We know our shit deeply. Please don't anyone come at us and be like, you said Eileen Baker. How do you not know anything? No, it's Eileen Barker. Okay, Barker, Barker, Barker. If you hear Baker, it means Barker fuck that bitch as you will hear
1: no because uh, eileen baker Barker. yeah let's go off let's go off on that bitch fuck yes. I yeah, fuck
0: that. hell yeah hell yeah come on
1: i something i've decided is like there are only two reasons i personally would be okay with going to jail number one would be if i get swindled into reproducing and i have a kid and someone touches my kid i'm gonna go to jail i don't care i will mm. commit assault <laughs> the other reason i would go to jail is if i ever catch eileen baker in person I am going to physically assault her because Mm. I am so, and you don't understand when Eileen Baker published her findings about the unification church, that the unification church bribed her to write differently or write in a certain way, her book article, whatever the fuck completely ended what could have been a life-saving line of inquiry into the lives of people who got sucked into this movement. She said, like, word for word, there is nothing different about the Moonies than going to a regular nine to five job. And we know now that that's a crock of bullshit and something that the Unification Church paid her to say because they lost a groundbreaking defamation suit against the Daily Mail in London. Mm. Like in England, people were beginning to wake up to the fact that the way people were behaving after going through these conversion processes in the Unification Church was terrifying and having profoundly awful, harmful effects on their families and loved ones. And the UC tried to defend themselves in England and failed. They lost a defamation suit against the Daily Mail, and they were getting lampooned and called out for their bullshit in Europe. So here's Eileen Baker, and she's a new academic. She wants to be taken seriously. She's got this super nerdy academic hard-on for being the contrarian who defends this discriminated against asian man who's only trying to bring about world peace and she completely direct headshot to the line of inquiry that could have saved people's lives because her pride as an a new academic and that bribe money was too much for her i guess so it's like i get I get angry about that uh, like, yeah. <laughs> on and a I mean, basis. Like,
0: yeah, like Eileen Barker, like like seriously, like, like she has contributed to the suffering and dare I say, like negligent deaths of kids.
1: And she's quoted in every college textbook. She's quoted in every academic study of cults. So she's not that bullshit research that is inaccurate and unfairly swayed because she took a bribe And apparently has never been called out on that in any substantial way. It's also being used to silence and disqualify the very real trauma and death of other cult members who are we're trying to get believed, you know? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Her her work, Eileen, congrats. Your work is being used to, yeah, to, to silence the voices of people who are legitimately suffering and in some cases, dying at the hands of this organization. So I hope I hope you're happy with the results of your work, um, but it's fucking devastating. So, also,
1: if you would like to contribute to my GoFundMe to pay for my prison commissary when I do cause her bodily harm, if I ever catch her, link in bio. I'm only <laughs> half kidding. Like, I don't even give a shit.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um yeah i like i do well okay this is like i i still think i still think she deserves her, her own like takedown episode she effectively does, yeah. so um that's that's been kind of like on the back burner this is like a little preview of that so we'll, we'll come back to that that that
1: topic that and remember it because it's foreshadowing yeah, for yeah future.
0: exactly exactly <laughs> exactly um okay so yeah and so I'm just kind of looking at my notes here. So we kind of, uh, okay. So one thing I wanted to mention about this, um, about this paper, God, there's a lot. Um,
1: We're both just like, I'm tired. Like like, I don't,
0: yeah. And I don't know where to begin, but I, uh, so.
1: You know what I like to do? Here's what I like to do to give people a sample platter of this massive article. I'm going to read you the bold Uh, headers. Yep. That break up each sort of smaller idea
0: okay good for it great great idea go so for it
1: here's the table of contents of yeah. this massive article you have your abstract and the intro that's kind of um, unnamed that catches you up to speed on recent events like the assassination and the investigation into the government in japan and their ties to uc the next titles are japanese fund a global empire concealment and deception. Both of those talk about the UC's incredibly shady, violent history in Japan, including when they stab a journalist to death because it becomes known that he's going to publish something critical about Moon in a prominent Japanese newspaper. The next title, Korean Official Silence, describing why Korea loves Moon and rolls out the red carpet for him and why they invite him to give lectures to their own government officials so that they can be more like him. They explain why they hate Abe so much. The next title, sex scandal going into Moon's history that is comparable to Harvey Weinstein or Jeffrey Epstein. KCIA involvement where they did, they name the people who founded the South Korean CIA and how they chose Moon to become a political tool to ensure their place of power after having committed a coup and assassinated former leaders. You feel me? The next title, Japanese bridgehead American expansion and reaction, moving cash, manufacturing guns, Intron lands badly, tunnel vision, talking about the King Peace Bridge tunnel or whatever the fuck, which turns out has always been a Nazi wet dream fantasy to create a cross-ocean tunnel mm-hmm. to sort of directly connect the axis yeah. from World War II, all of those countries that were battling against the United States, creating this king peace world tunnel that reverend moon rebranded it to be like some way to bridge communities and create world peace in the world that is verbatim word for word out of a nazi playbook that they wanted to do for hitler and for nazi germany and mussolini we're not even done Mm -hmm. there's more to this article the other subheaders in this article that come after tunnel vision and manufacturing guns are The anti-communist CASA, which explains the Iran-Contra affair, and how the Unification Church shuttled violent fascists from World War II Japan, guns, mercenaries, supplies, to death squads in Nicaragua so that the American government could destabilize governments in South America and prevent socialism from spreading because Ronald Reagan is a dickhead and Richard Nixon, and all of them. The next header, Kishi begs Reagan to pardon Moon. The next header, Goddard, Damarong, and Pyongyang bear hug, which is a really pretentious way of saying uh, Reverend Moon went back on everything he ever preached and went from saying that North Korea was infested with disgusting dogs who are embodiments of Satan, and he showed up in North Korea to give the dictator of North Korea a bear hug and make peace, because over several decades of running a black market money laundering scam, shit changes and sometimes mm-hmm. you need to make peace with people who are more powerful now when mm-hmm. you used to be dogging on them. Um, and then finally dysfunction and family feuds and the conclusion is called Endgame. So I just think it's really cool that this journalist, you can tell he's been doing this for a long time because yeah. he starts us off with recent events and then ends us with recent events. Yeah, He sort of uses this more recent way that the Unification Church has come into the spotlight again in Japan and uses it as an excuse to go through all of UC history starting from the founding, tie it together directly with historical events that you might have learned about in history class, and then bring it all together with an update on what Reverend Moon's family is doing now financially and movement wise. And then at the end, the journalist even suggests, what if Americans started doing the same thing that they're doing to the UC in Japan, yeah. but they did that here. Yeah. What other documents has the U S government from Ronald Reagan's administration onward, how many documents have they hidden or tried to distract people from because it's embarrassing yeah. and because they know that it would damage their image. Yeah. What if Americans gave as much of a fuck about the lives of ex-moonies that Japan apparently does only because one of them murdered somebody you see what i'm saying yeah. so the, i think just even just getting a walkthrough of those headers it's like that's that's a movie right there <laughs>
0: yeah that's several movies and uh, but and also also like that's just shit it lit, <laughs> take the movies out of the equation if you just told me those th- those were the headings about like some other group i'd be like okay that is some shady shit whoever that is this is definitely about some fucking criminals um, mm-hmm. if if i just knew those were the headings about any group any any group it could be you know but i mean yeah it's just
1: yeah i mean because these headings imply some pretty big bombshells yeah that directly contradict the reductive kind of childish naive stories we've been told about moon and where he gets his money from yeah yeah and, and i want to
0: there's one there's one piece that i that i want to read There's there's several that we'll, we'll probably read but um one in particular i think you you mentioned this early earlier on um well first of all this this reporter going out and asking questions and pulling on the thread um but second of all you you mentioned this idea of a very cozy relationship um between the unification church and the government of south korea um probably due to the fact that the Cult was started by the Korean CIA which is which is which is documented here but um this reporter um basically talks about the difficulty he had in getting answers from the South Korea South Korean government when mm-hmm. asking questions um and I'm gonna I'm gonna read read that passage now uh so this is Peter McGill one gauge of an entrenched official excuse me one gauge of an entrenched official taboo protecting the U- sorry one
1: you got this you can do it
0: (laughs) i can i can read faith i can read (laughs) one gauge
1: the trick is to be smarter than the words on the page Okay.
0: okay okay one gauge of an entrenched official taboo protecting the unification church in south korea is the lack of response this writer received to a list of written questions submitted in august to the government in seoul Unanswered questions ranged from donations by the Unification Church to South Korean politicians and officials, and the tax treatment of the Unification Church's many businesses and, quote, foundations, to the past and present domestic manufacture of armaments by the Tongil Group, the the historical relationship of the cult to South Korea's main intelligence agency and coordination with the Seoul government in undertaking diplomacy with Pyongyang. So he sent yeah just let that sink in he sent a long list of questions to the south korean government regarding all that and just had zero response
1: yeah um i'm trying to find the part that's really close to what you just read that sort of describes all of the things that moon oh here it is um There hasn't been any domestic probing of a curiously indulgent relationship with the South Korean state. This relationship has allowed the Unification Church to weather numerous international scandals while basting in extraordinary privileges at home, where it hosts mass weddings, owns a famous ski resort, a soccer team, a travel agency, a construction company, and numerous factories sits on a giant land bank of 4,628 hectares and pursues government-sanctioned economic and political diplomacy with North Korea. The cult's wealth and power are not hidden away, but are on proud public display in the wooded mountains of Gapyong, northeast of Seoul, which, as we all know here, is Cheongkyong and his palace, right? Viewed from afar, the world headquarters of the Unification Church bears a passing resemblance to the U.S. Capitol, equally ostentatious our convention center it's like i think it's really cool that an outsider journalist is like um what the fuck yeah this is a man who has obviously in a well documented way committed heinous like psychological and torture and fraud of japanese citizens stealing their financial inheritances from deceased relatives by telling them stories lies that their deceased relatives are talking to him from the spirit world. And that's why they need to donate hundreds of thousands of dollars, not to their kids or their family, but to Reverend Moon. How is he getting away with this? And how does he also own all this shit in Korea? How come the Korean SWAT team hasn't taken him down? And then it sort of goes into how Reverend Moon is only famous, not because of his like, quote unquote, groundbreaking divine principle, because it's not there were at least five other pastors who preached exactly the same thing at the same place at the same time. I can go ahead and read that paragraph. Yeah, Yeah, go
0: for it. Go for it. Yeah.
1: Many other new religious movements followed this like so there was okay, let me back up a little. When Reverend Moon was a much younger man before he changed his name to Sun Myung Moon back when it was Young Myung Moon. And we know that Uh, from documentation that his own followers submitted to the US IRS when he was being indicted for tax evasion, they were like, Have you ever gone by any other name? And his legal counsel was like, Yes. For the first 50-some years of his life, his name was not Sun Myung Moon, it was Young Myung Moon. And he rebranded himself after he was scooped up by the South Korean CIA because Sun Young Moon sounds more religious and has like religious connotations in South Korea. So after he invented, sorry, before he invented a fake identity for himself and rebranded himself, and he just had like a cute little local congregation, it's because there was a great revival in Korea where American Protestantism was combined with traditional Korean shamanism and Confucianism. And so there were all these charismatic speakers growing congregations. So this paragraph says many other new religious movements followed this revival, combining mysticism, eschatology, an arbitrary interpretation of the Bible with quote unquote personal belief in the apocalypse. So there was a female Methodist, same time, same place as young young moon that we all know, arguing that Jesus incarnated in her body and that the presence of Jesus dwelt in her. There was another pastor that taught the root of original sin was caused by the obscene act of Eve with Satan disguised as a snake, not by eating the fruit of good and evil. And that the second coming of Christ was believed to be through the body of the woman. So there were female pastors sort of taking Reverend Moon's spin on the Bible and preaching to their own congregations about how mm-hmm. they were the new Jesus yeah. and how that but the it wasn't even about his spin,
0: right? Black. These are people who are doing it at the same time. Like he, it, it wasn't even his he idea, was right? He was literally just
1: riding a wave that was very popular at the time, and yeah. he was not even the best to do it. So yeah. I'm getting to that in a second, yeah, right? Okay. Um, the Songju Church preached that Korea is the place for the second coming of Christ. So a completely different congregation was saying that. Korea is the new promised land and the new Israel, this whole like w- Korean supremacist spin that on it. And they believe that, yeah, they, they believed a man called Hwang Gukju announced that he himself was going to be Jesus incarnate, but that's not even my favorite part. There was a Korean man who started his own church called the Olive Tree Church. His name was Park Tae-son or if you say that in English, Tae-son Park, right? He was a charismatic Presbyterian elder who claimed to see fire and water descending from the heavens during a religious revival meeting on top of a mountain in central Seoul. So Park's reputation for faith healing drew a mass following. His followers were completely undaunted by scandals, alleging peak sex with female followers and a brief, brief stint in jail for embezzlement. Right? So, shockingly similar stories mm-hmm. to moon sung and like moon he was excommunicated by the presbyterian church yep. for claiming that he that jesus was an imposter and he was the new christ
0: yeah so there's i just want to dive in here yeah i like this the fact that he was excommunicated that moon was excommunicated from the presbyterian church i was like what the fuck like to get excommunicated you gotta like really um mm-hmm. and then just a couple things so, and- sorry go ahead go ahead
1: I was just going to say Park tay Sun had the exact same messaging yeah. as Reverend Moon. Yeah. He had Pika room sex. Have you covered Pika room on this Oh, podcast? yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. So go back. Yeah, yeah. For, yeah, yeah. Big time. That was in uh, Logical Fallacies uh, in season mm-hmm. two. We, yeah, we covered it. So basically
1: um, implying that uh, we're going to do communion only instead of eating a stale wafer cookery, uh, cookie. I'm going to fuck you. Yeah. And that's how you're going to be cleansed. You're going to be cleansed.
0: I'm going to cleanse Because my dick is yeah.
1: magical and yeah. I'm here to cleanse your womb. Yeah. And then yep. because you're married and we're not using protection, you're then going to immediately fuck your husband in case you have a baby. Yeah. But I'm going to tell you it's because he needs to be vicariously cleansed mm. through you. Mm. That's what peacutter is. Yes, yeah, exactly. It's exactly religiously justified orgies yeah. with married women. Yeah. So Reverend Moon was doing this, but he wasn't the only person doing this. And he was not the best at doing this. Mm. So Park Taesan had a bigger following than Reverend Moon ever did. And he still got kicked out of the Presbyterian church. He still crashed and burned because the doctrine by itself is a load of bullshit. And if Reverend Moon had not been sponsored by the South Korean CIA, his group would have fizzled out just like every other group. Mm, yeah. So exactly. in the very next, at the end of talking about the olive tree church in Park Taesun, that's where the header KCIA involvement pops up in bold. Yeah. Yeah. And this is my favorite paragraph in yeah. the whole Article.
0: Can we can we pause there? I just want to say one yeah. thing about the Picaroon thing, and then I want to go to the do case, case. Do case it. Do it. Do I it. Thing. So um, I just had. Yeah, I have, I have a couple notes here. So um, literally, I have a <laughs> I have a subheader in my notes. It's it's sex cult days, um, and the the um, the piece here. So so the, they they give some some insight into um, into the scandal that sort of unfolded in in the wake of moon's picaroon um days effectively um and this detail i thought was really fucking damning um
1: you know i'm glad a... you interrupted me to bring this up because i had my whole own phase of processing this information and i totally yeah. forgot about it and okay. no
0: me. this one this one really so so we talked about this practice in general and i feel like we didn't we didn't really like I don't know if we really got to the, the heart of the actual scope uh, or the, the scale of, of, of the activity, but um, uh, there was a trial. Um, yeah, during the scandal that unfolded, uh, uh, there was a trial that, that, that took place. Um, there were 80 women who refused to testify uh, in that trial. Um,
1: and, and there were 14 girls who were expelled because of their sexual promiscuity and yes. there were like half a dozen so, teachers who were fired yeah. because of
0: their yeah exactly yeah so yeah so there are a lot of people but these 80 women who refused to testify like what sort of what sort of intimidation was happening behind the scenes there you know what 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 did those conversations look like that right. that's that's disturbing to me um
1: I mean, I mean, so besides the fact that it was like the 1950s or 60s in rural South Korea, yeah, like women were getting murdered in broad daylight and no one cared because yeah. that's what happened to women everywhere in the 1950s. Yeah. If you're it's it's hard enough to be believed if you come forward about sexual assault or just like in this case, again, more similar to Jeffrey Epstein, where like Reverend Moon had right hand women that were religiously coming to his peak room rituals. And he would send them out to go recruit young college students and yeah. teachers from the women's university. So it was shockingly similar to Jeffrey Epstein and Harvey Weinstein with yeah. the same like equivalent number of victims. Yeah, And the reason it's, it's hard enough for us in the two mm-hmm. thousands to care or believe about these types of stories. So Quite frankly, these women in 1950s rural Korea, going head to head with a man who, as we are about to learn, was hand picked handpicked by the violent dictatorial government ruling the country at the time. They didn't stand a hope. Like they didn't. Yeah. They didn't have a chance. Yeah. And it makes a lot of sense to me that not a single one of them felt allowed or safe speaking up about what they went, went through.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's fucking disturbing. Um, but yeah, anyone who's listening, like, yes, Reverend Moon was absolutely a sexual predator, a sexual criminal of of the highest order. Mm-hmm. And that's like one very small piece of this article. Um,
1: and, you know, it's like. In order to be a person who violates other people like that and then goes on stage and pretends to be Jesus. That's a full time job (laughs) like Mm. and it makes so much more sense to me and has brought a lot of peace to my life understanding where this endless supply of money and well-calculated maneuvering comes from it didn't come from him it came from the people who wrote his checks and kept him out of jail Mm. he was a decorative symbol spearheading someone else's project Mm you see what i'm saying yeah
0: yeah so let's talk about yeah (laughs) yeah yeah he yeah uh, not necessarily a useful idiot but like but he was um he was a well-connected
1: well-protected vendor in a black money marketing network yeah for the world anti-communist league and some of the worst war war criminals yeah from world war ii who have never been held held accountable Mm for their war crimes at unit 731 in China, which is a whole podcast episode in and of itself, Mm -hmm. but also just being terrible, sadistic people to their own citizens after the war was over. Yeah. Yeah, So so this next header, after talking about Moon's sexual history, and then also the Olive Tree Church, the next header says KCAA involvement. Moon's own cult first came to prominence after the 1961 military coup that brought Lieutenant General Park Chung-hee to power. According to a February 1963 American Central Intelligence Agency report, the Unification Church was organized, that's how they phrase it, was organized by retired Brigadier General Kim Jong-pil, founder and first director of the South Korean CIA. Kim Jong-pil, a relative of Park Chung-hee, can you say nepotism? That's -hmm. what that is. Kim Jong-pil, a relative of Park Jong-hee, an architect of the coup, who later became prime minister, quote unquote, has been using the church, which has a membership of 27,000 people as a political tool, the CAA report stated. In May 1963, the UC was registered as a religious organization by the new government in Seoul after its application was initially rejected by the education minister.
0: I just feel like I need a sect or like
1: yeah we need to we we need to unpack that we need to break
0: like that's a lot right there um there's a there's that's a lot that's
1: and i do have several months almost a year ahead of you in taking time to process this so if you want to take a minute i can riff and like help us unpack this yeah
0: yeah go for it please please so let me
1: just break down you know what's funny? I see the word coup, and I immediately think of the fact that the Unification Church sent me to an African country that was in the middle of a coup.
0: Which country was Because fuck it?
1: me and my life, right? Yeah. yeah, They sent me and three other kids from, well, actually, a dad in the Pacific Northwest who made his own spinoff of the Mooney group Yeah, used STF connections in Africa to send teams of, of us over there, okay. even though we legally were not a Mooney organization. Yeah, he was yeah, keeping yeah. all of that profit and calling all the shots. Okay. So me and three other kids, kids, because we were teenagers, mm. we were sent to Ivory Coast, Cote d'Ivoire. Wow. In the year of violence that immediately preceded one of the most awful famous coups in that country. So a coup, or in this case, a military. Let me let me back up when a bunch of MAGA Republicans and one of Reverend Moon's sons invaded the Capitol, right. Mm -hmm. January 6th, Mm -hmm. that's called um, an insurrection or an attempted coup. So an insurrection is like the beginning stages of a coup. Mm. It's like, if you think of skin cancer and how like, Suspicious moles and melanomas can yeah. eventually become stage four cancer. Yeah. An insurrection is the beginning stages of a coup. Yeah. So what we experienced here in the United States when people stormed the Capitol, uh, harmed people, I think killed one or two people. Yeah,
0: people died. Yeah.
1: But they were arrested and promptly escorted off the property, and then it never went anywhere. And now they're yeah. all being sent to jail. Yeah. That was an insurrection and attempted sedition. So, plotting to destroy the structure of democracy that we all use today and have agreed yeah. upon. A coup would have been if that was successful. Yes. So, if those dorks who in- invaded the Capitol had succeeded in some way because they were grounded in reality and not partially LARPing and like maladaptive daydreaming and sort of doing it for the gram, if they had actually taken people hostage and murdered them or done something a little more real and like overthrown the government we would have been in a civilian-led coup yeah. or we would have dug deeper into QAnon and be, been like who's behind this this was so in korea in 1961 there was a successful military coup where generals who are in charge of all of the country's weapons and tanks they're just like you know what um i know this guy who has a fancy title of prime minister whoever is telling me what to do but i don't want to Because I don't trust him. Mm -hmm. I don't fucking feel like it. And last time I checked, I have all the weapons.
0: You got the guns.
1: So they literally disagree with the people who are writing their checks and telling them what to do. They show up at their office. They hold guns in their face where they kill them. And the military starts running the country.
0: Yeah. And this happens in many countries, quite honestly. it's
1: Yeah. And a lot of the time, the American CIA ensures that it happens. It's shockingly
0: frequent. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. So there was a military coup. Park Jung-hee was put into power and eventually he was assassinated. Um, But it was just, it was all because of World War II and how the restructuring after World War II left a lot of people really, really vulnerable and people in power went out of their way to take advantage of their own countries. And they sort of threw... National patriotism and all these things that we as citizens are spoon fed during times of war to like fabricate our consent for murder and bombing. Mm -hmm. All of that goes out of the window when you actually get into these government offices. It's all about who knows who, who's friends with who, who's going to have your back when someone comes in and tries to shoot you in the face and take your seat of power. Yeah. So after World War II, Japan and Korea, all the people who held all the guns and all the power. They were like, we don't really give a fuck about our citizens, right? And they're like, yeah, no, not at all. Mm -hmm. So heads of state in South Korea started making really shady, fucked up deals with heads of state in Japan, even though Japan had brutally colonized Korea. Park Jung-hee, as it describes in this article, was a Korean man, one of the only Korean men, to go to an imperialist Japanese military academy. And he was, like, fully brainwashed, essentially, thought reformed, as most people who join the military are, to sort of behave very differently and have a very different narrative about his home country that is very lopsided and biased to paint Japan as this, like, superior, more evolved nation that deserves to slaughter and rip off Korean people. Mm-hmm. So that's who was in power in Korea when wow. the Unification Church was founded. And it's also a wow. big part of why Korea doesn't give a fuck that Shinzo Abe was assassinated. They're like, good, you deserve it.
0: Yeah. Well, it's gonna that's it's just so weird that I mean, given the Korean nationalism of the church, that they would have this um sort of origin story that's like very Japanese focused or like or pro-Japanese, yeah. it's weird. It's, it's really almost strange. like
1: Reverend you know, this is just sort of my opinion and sort of the vibe that I'm getting from all of the data that's been thrown to us here. Yeah. But it really seems like because Reverend Moon was so trapped and so powerless in terms of making any real decisions about what the movement was doing with all their billions of dollars, he sort of went out of his way to be like, uh, well, Korea's fucking awesome. Mm. Like, I understand that I'm yeah. laundering money for fascists in Japan. But what if I also made my own money on the side that I got to spend on my jets and my suits and my property by ripping off Japanese people? Because fuck you. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? It's sort of like he had an awakening when he was no longer constantly coming in and out of communist prisons and being tortured for being like uh, a spy. And he when he actually became a spy for South Korea and was given mansions and jets and this whole fake persona and had a lot more time on his hands to relax he suddenly started like wanting to get back at anyone who is japanese a little bit
0: yeah
1: so in his own limited way because again he did not hold the reins or the power he sort of interwove as much korean nationalism as he could
0: Mm. Mm. yeah um i just want to um I just want to read. Actually, I think that the next the next paragraph here is actually quite interesting as well. It. So, uh, it is not known why Kim Jong Pil decided to co-opt the Unification Church. One tantalizing possibility is that Kim Il Sung, the leader of communist North Korea, had himself been raised in a Presbyterian family and was building a quasi religious personality cult, like the one at the center of the Unification Church. ...embodying elements of Christianity, Confucianism, and Korean shamanism. Moon's messianic cult may have seemed a powerful antidote to the appeal of Kim Il-sung's Juche ideology, as well as being a vehicle for more orthodox anti-communism. Moreover, the religious status of the Unification Church provided useful cover for political activities, shielded from public scrutiny and the prying eyes of tax authorities." that line right there like shielded from public scrutiny and the prying eyes of tax authorities sorry the religious status of the unification church provided useful cover for political activities shielded from public scrutiny and the prying eye of tax authorities that right there that that almost that just cuts to the that's that's it right that's it and i was thinking about this like if this shit didn't have this religious stamp on it. If someone was doing this shit without saying it was a religion, like shit would be so fucking different. You couldn't get away with this. Like, like the way if you're running a normal business and you know treating workers like they treated our parents or treated you or treated me like. You couldn't you can do that. There are laws against that. But they just they, they put this fucking religious stamp on it and then they, they just they get away with whatever the fuck they want. Um,
1: and you know what? Finding this article and reading those sentences and realizing that essentially a central intelligence agency took advantage of the fact that the U.S. has the First Amendment mm, and gets yeah. really weird and anxious when anyone yeah. tries to infringe on anything deemed a religious yeah. belief. When, when I realized that central intelligence agencies use loopholes in the laws like that to fabricate religions and then commit fraud, kill people, like unironically stab people to death who get in their Mm. way, hide the bodies, get away with it, scot-free, when they create thought reform programs that allow parents to unironically look at their kid and say, um, you know what, if you do get raped and murdered while fundraising for the church, you'll go to heaven, so it'll be fine. Like, when I think about that, I, I would have been fine continuing to go to college, focusing on anthropology as a major so that I could work in tech as a UX designer to help make tech more usable for people from different cultures with different disabilities or whatever. But reading this article and then this article prompting me to take a class from the Wallach Center
0: You know, Mm. Yanya Lalik
1: specializes in cult recovery. She has a center now that offers classes that are taught by college professors who are also cult survivors. And I took one of those. It was a Mm. religious literacy class by a PhD in Sacramento who who grew up in a cult Mm. and then sort of recovered by going to college and becoming a specialist in religious literacy. This article and taking that class, like I'm realizing there is a whole field of study dedicated to helping make the United States better at cracking down on crime and hateful, violent people who take advantage of the sacred nature of religion to commit crime, Mm. to, to hurt people. Mm. Because right now, like we've already talked about academics are being bribed by crime organizations to publish fraudulent information about religious organizations. Yeah. And we as a religiously illiterate public, we're just like, well, gosh, I don't want to offend anyone. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to be the person who's on the wrong side of history and crying wolf and falsely accusing a culture. I don't understand just because it freaks me out. Like human traffickers lean into those areas of insecurity within our American culture. Yeah. And there are academics, there are fields of academia you can go into so that you can be a person at a lawyer's office or in a courtroom or at the board of education being like, this is a myth. This is not what this organization believes. Here is evidence that this isn't true. And you can be the person to sort of Mm -hmm. take the sheep's wool off of everybody's Mm -hmm. eyes in this case. And reading this article and then pursuing all of the things that came up for me because of this article led me to take that religious literacy class from the Lollick center and completely change like my field of study and what I've been doing.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, A couple things just come to mind there. So I think this is a really interesting concept of, okay, if, I mean, it seems reasonably well-documented that yes, the, the cult was 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 started with the backing of the kcia um and i've I, i've i've always i always thought of moon um coming to the u.s as number one trying to um trying to escape his past as a as a sexual predator uh number two i've, I've used this phrase before sen- sensing the market opportunity for extremism um in america um I, I do th- if he does I do think like he does kind of he does have he has a bit of a sense of 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 things he can exploit basically and uh, and so I just I always thought like, like anyway, I just felt like that was a good way to to describe it but because America was you know it was the sixties it was the seventies it was a time of turmoil um a lot of new religious movements were were popping up so. I always felt like he was he was driven there by that, but the the point that you mentioned that it's actually it's actually specifically driven by the law. Uh, it's driven it's driven by America's uh, you know hard on for religious freedom, effectively uh, that creates this environment. And so, if you're the K.C.I.A., if you're if you're if you're the if you're the if you're the, the backer of this cult of, of this cult or any other cult, um yeah, it would make sense for you to send your operative to wherever wherever the laws are the most friendly to to the activity that you want to do. So it kind of it makes perfect sense. i never I had never really thought of it in that context, but it totally totally makes sense.
1: And honestly, I do not believe it was moon's choice or idea for him yeah. to come to America. yeah because in the following sections, continuing, like, KCIA involvement, yeah. several South Korean military and intelligence officers joined Moon's cult. Yeah. We've talked about Colonel Pak, Bohi yeah. Pak, yeah. on this podcast plenty of times. Yeah, There are people who have been interviewed on your podcast who have firsthand experience meeting this person. Yeah,
0: yeah. He
1: was a KCIA agent. Yeah. So he was in charge. Like, he was kind of anyone who is an actual kca agent they were not there to be servants to moon they were telling him what to do yeah exactly
0: exactly and but then publicly playing the persona of the humble servant exactly but actually pulling the strings um and exactly. that's that's what th- this article makes a really interesting it paints a really interesting picture of 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 a guy who's actually not calling the shots um mm-hmm. a, a guy who's who's being Maybe not manipulated like I think he knows the deal the whole the whole way, but but he's being held at
1: gunpoint with the threat of jail time to do exactly what the fuck they tell him to do because Mm. he's wanted in Korea for a whole bunch of shit. Yeah, and he knows all too well at this point that anybody who has enough manpower and guns can throw you in prison for any reason and torture you however much they want. He was imprisoned unfairly just for people assuming he was a spy, and that's what convinced him to become a spy. It's sort of like, because you and I grew up in relatively stable government societies and all we've been spoon-fed is propaganda, like multi-billion dollar films paid for by the American FBI and American yeah. CIA. That's a whole can of worms. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, some yeah, of totally. our favorite movies with our favorite actors are funded and consulted by the American CIA to plant this idea that America is like, the ultimate arm of justice around the world and we have these very like black and white all or nothing easy to understand scripts about how people make decisions but the reality is when you're a broke country like korea was during world war ii you're a bunch of rural farmers farmers who have been fucked over for decades by japan and now you're being dragged into world war ii by japan it's like People don't really, it's like, you don't really have the luxury of having like a moral compass. You go wherever the people holding guns to your head, tell you to go and you say whatever you need to say to stay alive and feed your family. So it's like, I'm not, I just, my I've been able to detach from Reverend moon a lot since we last spoke. Mm -hmm. And I kind of like in our first interview I hope it didn't sound like I was defending the true family or like trying to minimize rage that people feel towards Reverend Moon. I think I was just trying to articulate what I have become a lot more confident in saying now, which is Reverend Moon was not all that. He was kind of an exhausted, pathetic guy. He a tool. Who did what any other human being would have done had they been tortured relentlessly by a bunch of war criminal maniacs. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Yes, he was a piece of work with childhood trauma that turned him into the, the type of sicko who could rape underage girls in mass orgies. But like, he's not an evil diabolical genius. And I feel like one of the things I learned, one of the most important things I learned in trauma therapy is like a method of control that kept me whipped to keep coming back to people who hated me and treated me like garbage was this all or nothing black and white thinking. Yeah, totally. And this idea that like, okay, well, if Reverend Moon isn't an all-seeing, all-knowing miracle maker who knows all of the best answers for my life, then he must be the most evil man who ever lived, who ruined my life and turned my parents into unlo- like unloving, terrible people when they otherwise would have been perfect. It's like, no, there was mm-hmm. so much more nuance. And like- At the end of the day, I, as a fully grown 31 year old adult woman, I have the same power and resources or even more power and resources than Reverend Moon had access to when he started that church Mm. because he was a broke nobody in rural Korea and it was being terrorized by other countries' militaries. You know what I'm saying? So I don't Mm. have sympathy for him. I don't feel bad for him. And I really do wish that his own family members would have done more to call him out on his bullshit. I think I do personally feel indebted to one of Injun's kids who called me personally and told me about how he exposed her and hacked into her shit and, like, published that birth certificate on the internet because he was sick of Injun's lies. Whoa. Like, so I do feel protective of some of Moon's family members wow, because some okay. of his kids were lucid. Some yeah. of his family members did understand okay. that Bo had ties to the South Korean military. Like we, we in the unification church when I was fully brainwashed and like a lecturer of divine principle to other kids, I remember me and other people on NGA talking shit about one of Reverend Moon's adult daughters who went on a reality TV show and talked smack about the unification church and tried to give away tons of her money. And now I totally get it. And I'm like, oh, my God, some of them like. Part of the reason I left was because I realized when I moved to the East Coast from the very separate cult that was developing on the West Coast, when I moved to the East Coast and started speaking to people at headquarters every day, I realized and saw firsthand that Reverend Moon did not indoctrinate any of his kids. He did not make his kids go through the same conversion process that members did. And that's ultimately what caused the American church to fall apart. Yeah,
0: that's a good point.
1: You know, so it's like, he's not all powerful. He had no fucking idea what he was doing. He was an emotionally stunted person who had been through a time of war, who was handed billions of dollars and unlimited access to whoever he wanted to have sex with and whoever he wanted to verbally degrade. You know what I mean? Like they Mm. found this rambling, dysfunctional guy in the countryside. He was between a rock and a hard place. His options were essentially like starve to death or find a regular job in South Korea when his church fell apart and potentially get thrown back in prison or work with the South Korean government and live like a king, pretending to be a literal king for the government that fucked over his country. Like, think about that. (laughs) You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, Jesus Christ. That's a very, very, very good point. Uh, I had never thought of it like that. And I find myself bizarrely having a little bit of sympathy for the guy uh, in a way that I never thought I would, if I'm
1: honest. Like, no doubt about it. No question. He's a sack of shit. I'm glad he's dead. That was the other thing that helped me leave the Unification Church is when... Somebody in the Northwest paid for me to go to Chungkyung for the first time in my life for a few days as like a representative of our district to the anniversary of his death. I stood at his palace in front of his body in the ground. I stood as someone who was half in half out of the church at his grave at this mound in this palace with a giant statue fountain of him and his family. I realized how broke I was. I looked at his grave and realized how few fucks I had to give and mm-hmm. how none of this meant anything to me except reinforcing how unfair all of this was. And I was like, yep, I'm out of the church. Amazing. Wow. Just like that. I don't believe any of it anymore. And it's been like a steady unraveling the whole time.
0: I love stories like that of like these, these, these moments that are like supposed to be sort of like, you know, so spiritually significant and like, Bolster your faith, and but then you, but then it turns out it completely opposite. backfires <laughs> yeah. and like reinforces the point of how fucked yeah. up
1: it all is. Yeah, like, no, that's amazing.
0: <laughs> that's amazing. I love that. Um, let's uh, let's continue here. So, the, okay, the next section is really interesting. Um, uh, let me just see. Do I have any? Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Can I, I just want to read this? A read a little bit here so and, and this dovetails with some of the stuff you mentioned earlier so this section uh is sub t- is titled uh japanese bridgehead the cult's first overseas bridgehead was in japan where kishi nobu suke the maternal grandfather of abe shinzo so this author uh he, writes, he pays respect
1: the... to asian grammar correct but... yes correct which yeah. is
0: you you say the surname first basically um So uh, Kishi, the maternal grandfather of Abe, rolled out the red carpet for Moon. As Minister of Commerce and Industry in the cabinet of General Tojo Hideki, Kishi was a co-signatory of Japan's 1941 Declaration of War against the United States and the British Empire. He played a key role in designing a centrally planned military-dominated economy in Japan's puppet state of Manchukuo, to feed the home island's war machine. His policies helped inspire the Ministry of International Trade and Industry, the MITI, in plotting Japan's post-war export miracle, as well as guiding South Korea's rapid industrialization. After the war, Kishi was locked up at Sugamo Prison as a Class A war crime suspect, but was never put on trial. Instead, he was released on Christmas Eve, 1948. A beneficiary of the occupation quote reverse course from purging militarism to suppressing communism in 1955 kishi brokered the founding of the liberal democratic party that has since ruled japan almost without interruption capping an astonishing metamorphosis kishi became prime minister in 1957 kishi tried and failed to abolish the war renouncing article 9 of the constitution Bequeathing that unfinished tasks to his heirs, but succeeded in ratifying a new Japan-U.S. security treaty before stepping down in 1960. Park Chung-hee, the most consequential of South Korea's leaders, was an officer in the Japanese Imperial Army, who, in his cups, would later lustily sing Japanese gunka army songs. That sentence doesn't quite make sense. So,
1: um, I looked up what a Gunka Army song is. Yeah. So Gunka it's like, um, you know, the Battle Hymn of the Republic. Yeah. And that we sing a million times. That sort of idealize war and like fighting for cause. Okay. So the way that we constantly sung those songs, the army does the exact same thing. Got it. Okay. To sort of implant messaging and an attitude into their soldiers. Got it. Okay. So these army songs would have been about the superior race of Japan conquering the whole world with their military power.
0: Got it. Okay. And it's this Korean
1: guy. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm saying. It's like during times of war, people do crazy things. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Your allegiances change, right? Like Yeah. Yeah. Like we've totally, been spoon
1: fed yeah. this very oversimplified Disney villain-esque yeah. version of why war criminals or people do what they do. But in yeah. reality, like when everyone around you is dying, people will betray their own families and their own countries.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um let me continue here. Uh so Park Chung hee, blah, blah, blah. Like Kishi, he also reinvented himself as a conservative nationalist. In 1961, Park and fellow generals seized power and began implementing elements of the Manchukuo model of state-led capitalism to jumpstart South Korea's economy.
1: So can I jump in real quick about Manchukuo?
0: Yeah, sure. Um,
1: So I had to look it up real quick as we were talking just to double check, um, because unfortunately, I don't have a master's degree or an education certification to talk about this. I could be getting this wrong because I was kind of busy being trafficked for a good chunk of my life. You yeah, know what I'm saying?
0: I know But
1: Manchukuo, it turns out, you can look up on Wikipedia and just other more reliable sources on the internet. Yeah. It's the part of China where Japan set up Unit 731, which is, um, it should be a much more famous bioweapons manufacturing factory that japan created specifically to go against the geneva convention holy shit so in this article they sort of hint at japan's puppet state of Manchukuo, and then later as we're going through the history of the uc they talk about how like nobosuke kishi spent a short time in prison and then was released right yeah um in fact, I could read that part. After the war, Kishi was locked up at Sagamo Prison as a Class A war crime suspect, but was never put on trial. Instead, he was released on Christmas Eve in yeah. 1948.
0: Yeah. Uh, let me, I, I already read that, by the way. But okay, so you're mm-hmm. just, okay. Um,
1: yeah. So yeah. that Class A war crime
0: yeah, got that it. Kishi got it. and
1: okay. other people were in prison for was the U.S. pretending to hold a bunch of Japanese government entities accountable for the truly horrific like puts nazi germany to shame bioweapons torture factory that was also sort of its own insular cultic system in Mm -hmm. order to hire all those staff members to conduct human experiments on people they pretended to hold those people accountable and then they released them on christmas eve granting them quote-unquote total immunity Which is sadistically ironic considering the thing they were put on trial for was murdering innocent women and children and random civilians they scooped up off the street and injecting them with bioweapons to test the efficacy of those bioweapons. They granted them immunity from those crimes because the U.S. purchased that research and then they used that research and those bioweapons to continue sabotaging other governments. What the fuck? So we have this, in the United States, we have um, this singular story of who Japanese and Korean immigrants are. They are model minorities who are really good at math and really good at managing money. And they're very polite and they're very quiet and they're never sexy and they're never violent. And they're just very shy and well-mannered. And what the story of the Unification Church and what this article is telling us is that Japan definitely did not deserve you know, the atomic bombs that we sort of unloaded on them more as a display of our own power than because it was necessary, you know, mm-hmm. but they were war criminals. Yeah, They pulled some heavy fucking punches. And when the rest of the world was like, World War Two has been going on for a long time and we're all really fucking traumatized. Can we make this thing called the Geneva Convention so that we like put limits on the human imagination because yeah. this is getting kind of insane yeah. and we as a planet can't sustain this level of trauma we need to sort of just come together and agree that there are going to be ethical limits to the things we do to each other throughout the duration of this war and future wars and japan was like i kind of feel like if bioweapons is part of the geneva convention and everyone's afraid of it that's exactly what we should be doing because that's what's going to help us win this war Mm -hmm. so japan took that information and ran with it and they privately funded This puppet state, this fake city in China, for the purposes of creating biochemical weapons that the rest of the world agreed was too evil to ever use. And they convinced public facing, well known teachers and researchers to like literally be excited and honored to be asked to go to this fake city in China and conduct experiments on living human beings who were scooped up off the street in China or who were shipped over from prisons in Korea or Japan for anti-Japanese sentiment. And this multi-level, multi-building sort of torture compound puts Nazi Germany to shame. The person in charge of this was like the Japanese Joseph Mengele with a Walt Disney budget and this is not being taught in schools in america or in schools in japan yeah. there are no museums because there were no survivors of this torture factory Fuck. and the people who did it got away with it and, kishi and made was... a money lo- a lot of money off of it yeah
0: and kishi was was a central player in that mm-hmm. um and so this and article... shinzo
1: Abe was given a tour of the facility and he was like sounds dope
0: Shinzo Abe was oh yeah they mentioned that later on right
1: yeah Mm
0: -hmm. yeah um it's kind of
1: this big disgusting awful secret that the United States and Korea don't ever want their own population to find out about
0: yeah um so I just I want to 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 read this part here that connects all that to Park Chung-hee um and Kim Jong-pil and the Unification (laughs) Church basically so um Uh, Park Chung-hee, like Kishi, he also reinvented himself as a conservative nationalist. Uh, In 1961, Park and fellow generals seized power and began implementing elements of the Manchukuo Manchukuo model of state-led capitalism to jumpstart South Korea's economy. One of his priorities was to normalize relations with Japan. Kishi played – so Kishi that we were just talking about. Kishi played a key backstage role with Kim jong Pil in forging terms highly favorable to Japan. Fortunately, South Korea is under a military regime, right? This is a quote from Kishi. Fortunately, South Korea is under a military regime when even a small number of leaders under Park Chung-hee can decide everything. Great. Park was desperate for Japanese capital, and the 1965 ROK-Japan Treaty largely brushed aside Japanese compensation for the colonial past. The issue still festers in bilateral relations. Park's rule became increasingly repressive and in 1979 he was assassinated by his intelligence chief. His daughter became president of South Korea in 2013 and frequently sparred with Abe until being impeached over a financial scandal. The Unification Church was granted Japanese status as a Christian religious corporation in July 1964 and 19 and excuse me and a few months later moved its headquarters to an art deco style building beside Kishi's home in Tokyo's Shibuya ward. Kishi had used the building as his official residence while prime minister. And directly after this, there is a photo of moon meeting with Kishi. Um,
1: And they're sitting on their knees at a table with like a plate of fruit and little teacups and they're smiling into each other's eyes. And it's the most adorable bromance you've ever it, seen in your there's life. There's like
0: it's it's like it's like it's like a perfect. If, if it you, would have
1: been used in a Mooney brochure if if, if you, Koreans didn't hate this Japanese politician so much.
0: I, I feel like if you asked like generative AI to 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 create something from the prompt like Asian businessman bromance. You would get this photo effectively. Yes, <laughs> effectively. Um, like he's just... got his
1: huge glowing smile on. Like I can see you're into your soul. Yeah, <laughs> I'm the father um, figure you always wanted.
0: But it's <laughs> also like there's so much happening here. So first of all, when I first saw this, I was like, "This they don't. This does not look like a religious leader. He just looks like a businessman. Like sh- straight up. Like this guy just looks like he's in it for the money." Um but also just like like can we just like let that sink in for a second like this is moon this supposed mr world peace man like here having like serious bromance like there was love in his eyes for for, for no Keith but Jr. you know what you like, know what
1: i also see in this photo personally so <laughs> I'm I'm annoyed with how much I know about body language after being in the Unification Church and then joining yeah. a really sketchy sales program that was yeah. essentially the pyramid scheme because yeah. my skills were directly transferable and I needed a job.
0: Yeah. Did you crush so it in, at- in the pyramid scheme?
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, like, so looking at the body language in this photo, Reverend Moon has made himself taller. than kishi he's up on his knees when kishi is sitting on his knees.
0: Kishi's lower yeah
1: kishi is almost defending his his trunk his abdomen with his other hand during this handshake whereas reverend moon is taking up more space on the table with his hand yeah and he is facing kishi much more aggressively yeah
0: yeah he's he's, he's he's kind of on the offensive dominating
1: this handshake with kishi
0: totally totally yeah
1: and i made notes on my i downloaded this article and opened it up in a good notes app on my ipad and made my own notes on it yeah and i'm looking at this photo and it's like kishi holds all the power yeah right moon is a religious figurehead who is bossed around by people who report to kishi or at least are doing business with kishi yeah but Moon also knows during this face-to-face interaction that he is actively deceiving and ripping off the Japanese people as his own personal way of creating reparations for Korea. Mm. And Kishi is the man who is like, bro, fuck Korea. Mm. Like, yeah. I'm buddy-buddy with the dictators who just held a coup, because I want to make sure that Japan will never be held accountable for Unit 731, and will certainly never give any money to these dirty, rotten Koreans who I look down on. Yeah. Yeah. So it's sort of like he's friends with him, and he's like, <laughs> "I'm killing your people. Like yeah. I'm getting my, I'm getting my payback, yeah. and I have to smile at you right now. But you fucked over my home country, and you're gonna get yours, yeah. and I'm gonna do it while smiling in your face and getting paid by you." Mm.
0: Yeah, that's I what, what I see mean. when I yeah, I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. I see it. Yeah. Almost, he's like he's like he's like really kind of pleased with himself for for kind of fucking over the other. Yeah,
1: because he gets to be BFFs with this dude. He's yeah. like this dude's. Like, Kishi wrote a handwritten letter to Ronald Reagan and was like, hey, do you remember um, Douglas MacArthur, who, like, came to Japan and gave me a little deal you might remember? Yeah. Um, so anyways, I was just talking to someone who knows him really well at this big world event, and I think um, that you should let my buddy Reverend Moon out of prison. Yeah. And there's sort of this, like, thinly veiled threat, like, alluding to Unit 731 like i don't like that my buddy that i let live in my other house across the street from me i don't like that he's in jail right now and i think you should let him out Mm. and i'm going to name drop the people who negotiated uh getting me out of jail for unit 731 in that letter yeah
0: so that's actually the, the the next um the next sentence here is 20 years after the unification church became his next door neighbor Kishi would beseech u.s president ronald reagan to free moon sun myung from imprisonment
1: that's how tight he was with moon and the whole yeah. time moon was like i fucking hate you yeah, I, your yeah. I love yeah. it like yeah. <laughs> it was his own in the same way that prisoners become very petty and come up with their own routines where yeah. was like you know what this is my life i embrace it i'm gonna yeah. fuck over as many japanese people as i possibly can yeah in the process yeah
0: exactly exactly um there's another, so a couple, uh, a couple paragraphs down. Um, oh okay, yeah, so so then the the article goes on to talk about how um, the UCB uh, in the 60s to the late 80s became uh, stridently anti-communist, in their words, um, um, and uh, part of that was creating the so-called International Federation for Victory over Communism. IFVO and very
1: vocally supporting the Vietnam war.
0: Yes. Of- yeah, exactly.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then this I thought was fascinating. This is not something that I knew before reading this. Uh the honorary chairman of the Japanese f- affiliate uh of the International Federation for Victory Over Communism. The Japanese the honorary chairman of the Japanese affiliate of that organization launched uh in the same year um was none other I, then, I'm sorry, that year was, I just want to make sure we're covering this, oh, 68, 1968. So the leader of the, the Japanese affiliate was none other than Sasakawa Ryoichi, one of the most notorious and flamboyant Japanese of the 20th century. In the 1930s, Sasakawa started an ultra-rightist party and volunteer air corps and flew a Japanese-made airplane from Tokyo to Rome to meet... Benito Mussolini.
1: I know that name.
0: Yeah, I think I've heard of that guy <laughs> before. Are you fucking kidding me? Really? Right? What the fuck, man? I, like, yeah, just that. Just think about that. Like, oh, fuck. Then this. What the fuck, man? That's so. That's what's incredible. interesting is
1: like all of these multi acronym organizations that Moon started. We always yeah. have these cute little peace loving reasons like of course he would have started this but it's like it was so much less about the cute little name and like the little fairy tale we talked about and it was so much more about making sure essentially the japanese version of mussolini could get into whichever country he wanted to and launder his billions of dollars yeah it's like the people who wanted to be in a certain country in certain rooms with people came first yeah, the cute little acronym and the name for it and the justification for it came yeah. after.
0: Yeah, but it was a way. It was a it was a way to mask the first activity, just to get these mm-hmm. people into the rooms of power around the world, basically, and to let them bring so, money
1: into all these places. Yep. I'm pretty sure if Ruichi Sasakawa, who was one of the most notorious and well known ultra right Japanese nationalists in World War II, I'm pretty sure if he wanted to, he could have had Reverend Moon assassinated at the drop of a hat. Easily, just, yeah. Like, he could have made a passing gesture, yeah. a two-word remark, and Reverend Moon would be dead. So when Ruichi Sasakawa wants to get somewhere, he's like, how do we make this happen? Yeah. Higher-ups are like, okay, Moon, you're going to start an organization. And he's like, yes, sir. Thank you, sir.
0: Yeah. And I just want to, I want to, so, so this next sentence is very important. Mm-hmm. During the war, Sasakawa engaged in large-scale profiteering in cahoots with Kodama Yoshio. And in 1945, was imprisoned at Sugamo for suspected war crimes, along with Kodama and Kishi. So, And as
1: we just covered, what was that war crime?
0: Yeah. Fucking Unit 731
1: and bioweapons manufacturing.
0: Yeah. After he was depurged, Sasakawa was granted a highly lucrative concession tied to gambling on powerboat racing that funded his reinvention as a philanthropist. So, so, there's that, this
1: overarching trend that, like, essentially the way to get away with war crimes and violating the G- Geneva Convention is to just rebrand yourself as a pastor or a philanthropist. Yes,
0: exactly. exactly. And then it's,
1: the cognitive dissonance is too much for people. Yeah. Combined yeah. with like America's dedication to be like, oh, we're so sorry we decimated Japan with two nukes. Yeah. We're not going to push this issue any further. If this Japanese man says he's a philanthropist, love that oh, for well, you. Just, Let's just make just sure great. our intern gets a photo Go for off. It. Puts it on our website we won't yeah. ask any more questions
0: yeah exactly and and speaking of photo ops uh directly under that uh paragraph there's a photo of sun myung moon standing with I, okay Uchi. i
1: kind of love this photo
0: it looks so awkward
1: it's, <laughs> it's uncomfortable yeah um, I believe I can't find the caption for it that names all the people in my version oh, of the
0: art. It, it doesn't name all the people. It just says moonside with, with Ryoichi. 1978. Yeah.
1: So it's like he's got his weird like trying to put his charm on Grimace that I think yeah. my dad started to do because of him. Okay. In this photo he's standing next to Hawk John, who looks absolutely petrified and deeply uncomfortable. Yeah and then to the right are these businessmen wait, who clearly wait,
0: wait. well hold on to the left is that Daemonim. is that is that yes. the... i believe shit.
1: so i mean we'd have to pull up the captions but i'm pretty, I'm pretty sure...
0: sure it is yeah so just for the listeners who don't know Daemonim was is like one of the architects behind the um the chung pyeong uh indoctrination facility where people go to beat themselves to get spirits uh out on their bodies um Yeah, sorry. I just, I recognize her face. I'm almost positive. That's her. But anyway, continue. And then on the other side are...
1: Are infamous war criminals that people will recognize from their textbooks. And I've just never seen... Usually when Reverend Moon is in photos with politicians, they're US politicians. Yeah. They look sort of shocked and confused. He looks like he's in complete control and he's usually wearing a crown, right? But in this photo, it's like he is a dude like who is clearly like half dissociated out of his body it might like he doesn't mm-hmm. look like he's a big deal in this photo he the the people next to him the businessmen next to him look happy to be there but they also look like they are more powerful or yeah. as powerful as him because yeah. they're the ones wearing the flower brooches yeah. they're the ones who are the center of the photo mm mm-hmm. And Reverend Moon is literally on the side, like yeah. as a sidekick. Yeah.
0: Which is like, which is unusual for him. Um, it also, it, to me, it looks like um, it, it looks like a bunch of businessmen um, and, and their wives and mother-in-laws, I guess, like went on like a, uh, a factory tour and have been walking around all day. And then, the end of the day they're kind of tired and then they come out and someone's like oh we should get a photo of y'all in front of in front of the factory that it kind of it has it has like a tired um
1: yeah vibe a very forced formal tired forced yeah exactly like (laughs) oh i guess
0: we should do this um yeah and it's like
1: as as no you see, members, like, right? And it's <laughs> like we're so used to propagandized photos. We're yeah. so used to photos that paint Reverend Moon in the most supernatural, positive, well-organized yeah. light. Yeah. And this photo really feels like a behind the scenes look of who's really in charge. Yeah. And the answer is the worst fascists of World War Two.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like
1: it blows my mind a little bit. Yeah. A lot yeah. of it. Let's Jesus. be real. Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> this is i'm sorry like i'm i'm trauma laughing
0: at this point oh yeah because it's like we're, well,
1: we're trying to plot yeah. through this article and we're both just like fuck yeah. like, welcome <laughs>
0: welcome to my world where every every interview trauma laughing i haven't heard that one before but yes that's, no that's, that's why that's i have what, yeah.
1: not listened to the majority of your episodes because yeah, i'm just over yeah, here good. trying to live my best life yeah. for once. yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah
0: exactly exactly yeah um yeah uh, yeah i'm with you <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay, then the article goes on. Just to kind of finish out this section, uh, the article goes on to. T- I'm just going to read this. Moon also sponsored the 1970 Tokyo meeting of the World Anti-Communist League, with which the IFVOC and Shokyo Rengo were affiliated. I'm not sure what the the Shokyo Rengo. So they they covered was. that
1: in the thing we just so.
0: Oh, uh, Okay. Sorry. Moon this...
1: invented the International Federation for Victory Over Communism, yeah. or IFVOC, yep. Yep. to hook up all of these Japanese fascists with okay. money and power and fake positions.
0: Yeah. So, that no, they no, could what's, go what's the it. Shokyo Rengo? Shokyo oh.
1: Rengo was. Um,
0: oh. oh, that's just another name. The for Japanese it. affiliate. That's the, that's the name of the Japanese affiliate. Got it. Yes. Okay. Got it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, the, basically, these organizations were affiliated uh the wac
1: layers of front groups yeah exactly so that people can be involved with the world anti-communist league and it yeah. won't say that anywhere on paper yeah
0: yep
1: they're like oh no i'm not with the world anti-communist league i'm with shokyo Rengo." Yeah. okay what's shokyo Rengo? it's yeah. a subsidiary of ifvoc what the fuck yeah, is that exactly
0: and it's exactly. like it
1: sends you on this really annoying tedious paper trail so that you give up and you stop asking questions
0: yeah, yeah exactly The WACL grew out of the Asian People's Anti-Communist League, formed in 1954. The WACL, established in Taiwan in 1966, expanded the scope of anti-communist activity onto a global stage. In the 1970s, the European division of WACL became notorious for a large influx of fascist groups – especially after British white supremacist Roger Pearson took over as WACL chairman in 1978. Geoffrey Stewart Smith, who headed the league's British chapter, resigned in protest, describing the WACL as, quote, largely a collection of Nazis, fascists, anti-Semites, sellers of forgeries, vicious racialist, and corrupt self-seekers, end quote. It's a hell of a quote.
1: What I listen, <laughs> like maybe you can speak to this because you live in England.
0: Yeah,
1: but like the fact that the WACL was too intense and too racist for a British white supremacist yeah. speaks volumes yeah, and has them. me floored. No,
0: that's British a lot. racism.
1: Yeah. Br- yeah. Listen, British racism is next level okay in the sense that everyone seems to be perfectly okay with today in 2023 british citizens walking around in public in blackface yeah. at like county fairs yeah. if you did that in the united states where there are direct descendants of is african slaves it's also walking around wait where did you, you hear that clocked in the face
0: hey is that a thing over here yeah i saw it
1: trending on twitter it's <laughs>
0: not denmark i know denmark is down with that shit but here it's like a big thing in denmark racism
1: um, in london is yeah. out of fucking control no and i'm not saying it's not people. i'm not saying
0: it's not out of control but really <laughs> blackface yes like,
1: unabashed okay. blackface and they're like "Oh, huh, okay. it's a fun joke okay. because I there haven't... are not there is not a thriving population of direct descendants of black slaves yeah. walking around in England the way there is in America so yeah, the fact exactly. that a, a perfectly protected and insulated British white supremacist was like no y'all are insane y'all are <laughs> you got, I quit these are a bunch of Nazis fascists anti Semites forgers yeah. and self-seekers like that's nuts that's
0: yeah. that's crazy oh yeah okay i'm looking up this story now okay uh yeah that's disturbing um but okay i'm not gonna go down the a hole now um but yes uh I agree. The fact the fact the fact that the racists in this country were like, "Whoa, this shit this shit's too much." Um, You're like, going off the deep. Like it like had to be a,
1: crazy. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yes, agreed. Part of me wonders if we should maybe come back to this at another time cuz we're only like halfway through this article basically and we're kind of at a natural break point here between sections. So part of me wonders, because I like, I think, I actually think this format is really good. Um, we're going to, well, just whatever we're doing, um, okay. where we're yeah. kind of going back and forth and kind of going section by section um, and picking up. And addressing
1: our emotions. All yeah, way.
0: exactly. Like, and I kind of feel like maybe we should, like we could try and cover. So yeah, we're about halfway through. So we could try and go through the next half and kind of race through race through it but i don't know if we're gonna if that's really gonna give it the attention it deserves um so you
1: want to do another yeah interview? part of me wonders
0: it wonders if maybe we should schedule another session um
1: i kind of figured we would need to do that okay and i'm fine with that
0: yeah um
1: i think that's the better option because I, I think you're right. I don't think we're gonna be able. I feel like there's just so much to go. There's off. a
0: lot, yeah. Like, like we could <laughs> okay. race through it, but we're not gonna cover it in the depth that we've covered so far. Um, and if they end up being really long episodes, or maybe it's fucking four episodes. I don't know. Three, four. I, I don't really care, you know. Um, mm-hmm. um but I want to do the topic point, justice, basic, basically, you know. Yeah,
1: it's like what we. This is kind of the perfect stopping point because yeah. all the other headers from here on out are, uh. Like the very next header after that sentence we just read is yeah. American expansion and reaction. Yeah. So it's the whole next chapter. Yeah. Where shit changes, people get old and die. Some people yeah. go out of power. So Reverend Moon is sort of left by himself with his billions of dollars in America. Yeah. To chase these old World War Two Nazi pipe dreams just to flex like a really sad, tired, like yeah, exactly war criminal. You know. Exactly. And his kids start fighting over his money and like. Yeah. Real life shit starts to catch up.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's a very
1: different energy from here on out in the yeah, rest
0: of exactly. Exactly. But yeah, so basically, yeah, it sounds like we're in agreement. Like we could go for another 90 minutes, two hours, I think, on the rest of this, and we probably should, but I think that's just gonna be too late for me. Um and actually to our What time course, is it there now? It's eleven o'clock now. Um, and to my point earlier, I think previous me would have been like, yeah, let's fucking keep going. I'll just, but like, I actually need to sleep. Uh, I need to get yeah. better protecting, protecting my sleep. Um, um, so yeah, I think we should probably pause it. Like, well, yeah, stop the, stop the recording for now. Um, and then, and then do another session basically, um, in a week, two weeks, whenever it works for you. um, and we can figure that we can figure out the time later um
1: yeah sorry but, i was just dissociating for a second yeah yeah, yeah. i saw
0: it i saw it in your face i was like oh she's gone <laughs> i know that feeling i know that feeling. Yeah. I was, I was, yeah. Um, yeah let's do it
1: let's reschedule another time and keep going
0: yeah because um okay so i'm gonna i'm gonna stop recording now but we'll, we'll keep the session open okay uh, okay hold on uh Folks, there we have it. That's the end of part one with Faith. Um, What are we thinking? Are we thinking that... uh, (laughs) Wait, can I just remind everyone that Moon's fucking autobiography was entitled, As a Peace-Loving Global Citizen. Reminder. Also, hak Jahan's autobiography. It's called Mother of Peace. And they got their start with these fucking war criminals. That's how this shit all started. This shit kind of blew my mind when I did with Faith, and you could probably hear it towards the end when we were dissociating and uh, shit. Uh, So, yeah, that happened, um, and we caught it on tape. Um, I thought this was really enlightening. I'd like to thank Peter McGill for writing this, uh, this article. And there's lots more to come in the next episode where we talk about the history post everything that was covered in this episode up to now. I hope you enjoyed it. Stick around for next time. Thank you, Faith, for getting involved. Be good, everyone, and I will see you around. Peace. Bye-bye.